Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Alright, picking up the Batphone this week is our resident wrestling superstar, Taylor Ford. How are you going this morning? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. So obviously you're fresh off of your M16 <laughs> victory yesterday. How, did, how are you feeling after that? I'm pretty good. Yeah, pretty yes. good. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> we were we were literally just talking about it, and I think that for for many, it's a big, big event, and it's going to get bigger as well. I know that you know after having Miles on the podcast, and also Conway and Declan, uh, the last couple of weeks, they have some designs to make that into something that's really, really developing and and really positive for South Australia. Obviously, we don't have a lot here, especially now, so people partaking in it now we'll build that foundation to make it something really great but as it is you're a person who's competed at an extremely high level and competed a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, so two times commonwealth four-time world team member oceanic champion about how many times 10 times national champion 10 times (laughs) so that's a yeah that's a lot of competing yeah (laughs) that's it's a lot of success but it's a lot of competing it's a lot of actual mat time and matches so given that you know any run-up or lead up to a grappling competition now uh, given covid climate and maybe the rule set it's going to be different for you now but i'll put it like that to start with it's going to be different um and the reason i speak like this is because you are an elite athlete. You are highly acclaimed. You're very highly accredited as a coach, very well sought after and for good reason in Mm -hmm. this state right now. And you're moving towards really great things. I know your goals are Olympic when they should be. Yeah. Uh, So a grappling competition on a Saturday morning at M16, (laughs) you know, that's how does this fit into your overall plans? So as of Monday just been, um, we spoke, I spoke with my head coach and also my New Zealand club coach and um, they gave us the decision to, like our own choice if we wanted to go to Morocco to try and qualify and they gave us the breakdown of all the costs and so they supported my decision and I won't be going to trial as it's very expensive. And also, I didn't want to risk my health as yeah. well, and the risk of not even being allowed back from Africa. Yeah. So we've decided that we'll just focus on the Commonwealth Games at the end of the year. So that leaves me open for the rest of the year for any competition, whether it be grappling or wrestling. So yeah. Yeah. So those so are the things you're going to pursue. So that's that's what's just happened recently. So it's good to know. Um, it's upsetting to know that we can't go and try and qualify. And also, you know, there's big talk that the Olympics might not even go ahead. Mm. So in order to sort of get rid of the thought process and depression that might come mm. from qualifying and the Olympics not happening, we've just decided against it purely for the mental health and obviously health yeah. and our wallets as well (laughs) it's brilliant that those types of discussions will actually occur and that speaks Mm. to the professionalism of the organizations as well and having your best interests in mind at the same time like what what are your prospects what can you really aim to achieve if those things are taken away from you and then you mentioned mental health that's a real thing yeah countless athletes across the entire globe right now are going what they're Worlds, I think. Worlds 2019, we had um, a competition in Kazakhstan. I didn't get the result I wanted. 
and I got um, post-comp depression mm. for months and I didn't want to compete and I didn't want to do anything, didn't want to train. I didn't train for like two months after, I just couldn't be bothered. And I'm considering I'd been training almost once a day, every single day for years on end and I didn't want to. So yeah, I didn't know about it and then heard about it yep. and then understood it. And so I was given steps that I needed to take in order to help me get through it. So mm. I understand and um, a gut feeling thinking that if I put everything into trying to qualify and it didn't happen, I'd feel like I'd probably fall into that same routine again. Mm. So. I was quite happy that all my coaches that I spoke to about it supported my decision. Yeah. Yeah. And now the doors are open. Yeah. So MMA debut is going to be <laughs> the end of 2020. <laughs> it's like I put out on, you know, on the sh- on yeah, social media, like, of, obviously uh, people are going to ask, when's Taylor going to compete in MMA? And of course it's everyone from M16, like all the way down the line, Taylor MMA, Taylor MMA. You know, I mean, I think... Let's look at it objectively. If a striker came into my academy and they were like, I really want to fight MMA, mm-hmm. right? I would be talking about counter grappling, taking what you know and being able to apply it immediately. That would be the archetype of how we go about trying to develop someone, right? So getting up off the ground, a lot of that technical stuff, a lot of cage work, a lot of anti-grappling to learn how to immediately apply your skills. A wrestler has an archetype of decision so they get to choose where they'd like to fight supposedly if they'd like to take it to the ground they have a greater attribute in order to achieve that goal Uh, but they also have incredibly powerful hips every wrestler i've ever known can throw an overhand right they have great body awareness and adding striking or adding like the structure of striking to a wrestler or to a grappler isn't that difficult because you understand what you need to do in terms of learning processes and dedication to learning. So when I had Miles on, he even mentioned to me that you went and took a boxing class so that you can better help coach people when it comes to their MMA pursuits. (laughs) But he also firmly believes that it was the seed that got planted. This is the beginning of your career. Yeah, unfortunately I did it in front of people and they're like, oh, what are you doing? What are you training for? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) Leave me alone. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I think... Yeah, MMA is not for everyone. You, you've got to be kind uh, of crazy to get smacked in the face constantly and really uh, enjoy I can it. handle, you know, attacking legs, getting accidentally kneed in the head yeah. and like hitting my jaw on people's hips and stuff like that and not flinching. But when it comes to being punched in the face or even just the fist coming towards me, I just like run away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that aggressive. I'm aggressive <laughs> when I go to manipulate people, but just, yeah. I don't know. For me, I don't believe in a sport where you can punch people in the face for a living. It's not my sport. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of transferable aspects though from yeah. wrestling. I mean, obviously a crouch stance isn't a transferable aspect, but certainly, uh, you know, Greco-Roman aspects mm. are very, very useful on the cage. I think the cage itself as an enclosure has really dictated the evolution of yeah. grappling in MMA considering the specific tactics and specific techniques. And that sort of, it, it falters a little bit because then MMA athletes see wrestling as very segmented. Yeah. Like I'm going to use a technique from wrestling mm-hmm. in order to achieve a goal in MMA. It's not really wrestling. Like a wrestling is a sport. Wrestling yeah. as a, a true art 
has its own consistent internal logic. You can't like just go, I'm gonna use a wizard to do this. Or I'm just gonna shoot a single and that's gonna be my take. You're not doing takedown class, you're doing wrestling class. Because wrestling is a mentality. Like wrestling wrestling application. Yeah, 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 there is a difference. But there's a lot of transferable aspects which would give you a great advantage if you chose to go into yeah, MMA. Do, um, Here's the, me pushing you. <laughs> on the odd occasion with Adam Collett, like I'll yeah. go help him, but I like, we'll pretend to like strike each other. But. I, I like I like slap or like tap him on the forehead because I like don't want to punch. Yeah. But it's more obviously the aspect that I know how to move wrestling wise, and yeah. if he grabs me, I know how to move. And like even Kim Robinson, he'll help with like try to move on the cage to help yeah. better Adam with his MMA yeah. um, career that he's um going for. So I'm slowly learning, but for me personally, like I like to do jujitsu and grappling, but I'd like to learn more so I can help apply wrestling for. Um, jiu-jitsu yeah. and obviously MMA stuff I'd like to learn so I can help people yeah and that's wrestling the with MMA. position that you're in right now yeah. as well I mean you're being sought after for seminars and coaching from gyms across the state <laughs> for that purpose specifically yeah. that you mentioned uh, which is great you know which is awesome mm-hmm. because unfortunately in this state and in this country wrestling doesn't have the shine that it should and we've just never been able to get it's it off the ground. It's quite crazy because Luba, uh, the head coach at the Wrestling Academy, he's been involved in wrestling for 60 plus years. Mm. He has coached, he was head coach for Australia yeah. for wrestling to the Olympics, Commonwealth Games and to world tournaments. Mm. You know, he's one of the best in Australia and no one knows that. Yeah, he is a little bit crazy. Oh, he yeah. gets really excited, but you know, there's you show me a wrestling coach who isn't, you know what I mean? Like, highly obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the way it's got to be. I think, I think where it's faulted is there's been no grassroots development of wrestling in this country. It's not in schools. There's no, there's no incentive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's our problem. I mean, like with Indians, um, when they win tournaments, like Commonwealth games, they get given houses and cars, yeah. Americans, they get scholarships, etc. They even get labels like boots named after mm. them. Um, same thing in Japan, they get huge incentives. Whereas here you get the um, joy of being able to pay for your own flights to <laughs> wherever within a time frame. Yeah. <laughs> you made the team, now paid $3,000 to make it That's to this competition. Amazing. Same thing yeah. with New Zealand. And it's not like Australia doesn't have a strong you know, sporting infrastructure, mm. but it's just what's traditionally and culturally accepted as being a great sport to play. Like if you play footy, all power to you, you know, or if you're a swimmer from an Olympic perspective, we have this litany of tradition. We like to think we're awesome at swimming. Therefore, when uh, a kid, if a kid had a choice uh, of being a swimmer or a wrestler, and I speak from personal experience in this <laughs> regard, they get pushed into swimming as, a, as opposed to getting pushed into wrestling. Even if you're a short little nugget like myself who shouldn't be swimming and should be wrestling. <laughs> I, can't, you know I, mean? I can't swim either, I think. And it takes too much energy to swim to the top. Yeah. So just lie there and drown. <laughs> <laughs> just hang onto the side of the pool. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not very good at swimming. And I was pushed into wrestling because um, my dad used to do it at high school. So I started, he made me do it <laughs> when I was seven. Because um, female wrestling got big in 2000. Okay. And that's when I started and dad found out that females could do it. And mm-hmm. it was for self-defense originally. Mm-hmm. And then he started competing and my brother started competing. And then, so I competed. And I think at the time it was only like one lady, one lady I remember. And I wanted to be good like her. Because she was just like, everyone was just like, oh, she's really good. And the way that they talked mm-hmm. about her. So I was exposed to people who were achieving quite high at an early age. Yep. And 
Then um, when I started getting older, when I was allowed to compete at national tournaments, then there was a few more females um, older than me. And I was like, oh, cool. Look how cool they are. <laughs> and then I was exposed to a lady who was in the Olympics. So that was my first coach. His wife was in the Olympics for, um, I think she went for judo at one time, as well as transitioning to wrestling. And so she had been in the Olympics. And I wasn't her training partner, but I was around her when she was training. And, you know, seeing people at such high level mm. at such a young age, it's all, it's all I was really... That's all I really saw, yeah. so I didn't really think of anything different. That's that's a great depiction of you know what you're talking about before with incentives. Like those are internal incentives, mm-hmm. but at every rung of the ladder, you had this strong role model who made that goal enticing and made it into a dream. Yeah. You know and I mean, like, how would you have had that if they weren't already there? When people talk about paving the way, that's what they mean. Yeah. You know and I mean, like, you have to view it as something that is worth your time and worth your energy but in that way you never questioned it wrestling is hard you know (laughs) you know uh, we mentioned swimming gymnastics wrestling if you maybe talk about something like endurance marathon running or iron man things like i put them into the elite extreme of training at a young age maybe things like ballet and dancing and things like that as well they are elite extreme of what is expected of a junior athlete transitioning into a you know, an Olympic Commonwealth or a professional yeah. athlete as well. The, the structure, the regiment of the training, it's twice a day, every day, competing every weekend. Yeah, it's like bare minimum, I think. It's like you have to train minimum three times a week, mm. at least in the sport you want, not including outside, say, yeah. the mat exercises or workouts exactly. that you have to do as well. Yeah. yeah. The standard is very different and very often you get you know, coaches who have walked that path and they dictate to you what is expected. Mm. And when you're talking about an Olympic sport that maybe has some government backing and has that infrastructure, mm. if you drop out, there's someone right there ready to take that. that spot for you. So there is a pressure cooker of a situation. The first 4.30 a.m. training session I ever did was when I was nine years old. <laughs> and if yeah. you look at like someone, like, I mean, we I use this example all the time, someone like Ian Thorpe, who was a world champion at 14, 15, the hardest training he ever did and where he made the most metamorphosis and most progression mm. was a time he was like 8 to 14. Yeah. That mine, is yeah. amazing. I remember um, I made the Youth Olympic Games, the very first that they ever held in Singapore. And I'd get up at 5 a.m. by mm. myself just to go for either a bike ride or a run. I like, put my plastic bags on. Because <laughs> I had to make... How long was my weight class? My weight class was 60 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd do that then I'd go to school and then I'd go to training mm. after school and yeah so that's what I would do and then um, yeah because I always had this feeling I was just like oh if I'm not training oh it's like yeah if I'm not training they're training so yeah. I have to train when they're training and so I yeah, got a little bit obsessed yeah. with having to train because they'll be better than me if I don't train but that's, so that's train. instilled within you yeah. like that's a champion's mindset the words you just said have been said to you pretty you know much I mean? yeah like, and that's I hear it from a lot of athletes and that's just how they think. And, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, that's actually what it takes. And when, yeah. when I spoke to Declan, he's the same. 
Like he's going to go to extremes to achieve his goals. Mm -hmm. He probably hasn't had the same true structure. He's probably, you probably inspire him to try and get to that level, get to that true structure of training outside of the academy, lifestyle, nutrition outside of the academy. I hope that's what he's aiming for. Toasting beans. Yeah, yeah. This is what I mean. This is why I have to add, I hope (laughs) this is what he's aiming for. And I was grilling him last week about it, but. It takes that level of dedication. And Miles gets it. Miles was talking to me about you. And we were talking about uh, the degrees of athletic dedication and what it means. It's every second of every day. And even things like having cheat meals and things like that, that's still planned. That's still yeah. scheduled. You yeah, know like, I mean? like yesterday, um, we had Indian and we ordered Indian. And it was planned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm having a competition on Saturday, so it'll be okay if I eat Indian. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're like, my partner and I, we started at F45 because he works in the city, so we have to train before then. Yep. I don't know why it's a wee thing, but <laughs> it is I a wee thing. It's always it. a wee thing. <laughs> but I'm, I'm quite grateful and appreciative that he wanted to go to that because yep. for me, I find the beneficial um, aspect of it all because it's helped me with my stability and strength and stuff of built muscle and stuff like that just by doing these morning trainings but we also started this 45 day challenge and we have to follow these like diet things and they're really bland food Uh, so we've altered them a little bit (laughs) and i'm not a big fan of vegetables (laughs) you're not a big fan of vegetables not really taylor's gonna go carnivore that's basically what it's gonna be i'm trying not to go carnivore like i like (laughs) vegetables but i like to choose when i eat vegetables but this one's got lots of vegetables so i've been eating more vegetables and been following the diet thing and we started it uh, last week, Monday, and I've already lost two kilos. Mm. And I think that's purely because of cut-off sugar. Yeah. Because I love sugar. So really? So no vegetables, <laughs> lots of sugar. Oh, man. Yeah, but I, I feel the um, benefit of it all. So. Yeah, that's the only thing that's going to make you keep yeah, going. Yeah, but there. because of that too, uh, mentally I feel a lot healthier as well. Yeah. And like I yeah. had, um, through our decision of not going ahead with trialing for the Olympics, um, I had a different mindset with how I want to do the competitions. So yesterday I wanted, I'm not very big on warming up because I freak out. I'm like, I don't want to drink too much water. I'll pee too much. I'll pee out everything. (laughs) Or I don't want to eat too much or not eat enough. I won't have enough energy. I don't want to train too hard in the morning or warm up wise because then I won't have any energy. But I was taking on what Luba has said to us, you know, you've got to warm up, like it's your first match, you've got to be exhausted, you've got to be tired, almost throwing up. So I did a workout in the morning <laughs> before the competition, so I didn't have to warm up so hard beforehand. Well, that, that does make sense. And so. it worked. Yeah. I like, got there, I was really warm, I started sweating almost a little bit just by stretching, and I was just like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I was like, 10 minutes before, I'm like, I'm ready, let's go. <laughs> I hope people realise that this is just what it takes. You know Pretty what I mean? Much, yeah. Plan, just planning these things... Plotting them out, executing. It's just what it takes. People mm-hmm. might think it's crazy, but it's not. Crazy oh. is just what it takes. I was reading um, a book, um, Wrestling Tough. Yep. Um, and it talks about, you know, um, people who have like, hit high-level competitions, like Dan Gable, Gable Grip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, um, so he's an Olympian. Uh, Michael Jordan. They've interviewed a lot of high-class athletes, and it's basically says just how okay it is to be obsessed with your sport mm. and not to care what anybody sees or thinks of you. Like, well, GSP is another one. Yeah. Like uh, George Saint Pierre is completely obsessed with the details of his technique. Yeah. And they'll. I hope that in years to come, there's sort of like an entry and exit process for that obsession. You know what I mean? But at the same time, 
the scope, the broad scope mm-hmm. there is for uniquity within any sport. If you are a carbon copy of another person, you can only reach what they did or lesser. You'll yeah. never, ever be able to surpass. Greatness comes from uniquity and you put yourself into that role as much as you possibly can. So your own obsession is exactly that. It is your yeah. own obsession and the outcomes from it, the things that you produce from it will be completely your own and completely unique. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But also I think um, being okay mm. with it all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the hard thing. Like being also being okay with having days off. Yeah. And needing to rest, people sometimes get too obsessed to the point where they don't rest and they don't know why they're not getting any better because they're too sore or, you know, certain muscles won't go a certain way because they haven't been stretching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, I think with sports that are, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, really driven sports and possibly, you know, combat sports, sports that have weight classes that are involved because of the level of detail that is necessary in order to yeah. achieve great things in those sports. There is a level of dysfunction that comes with it, and it's very, very important that people talk about that. People are supported within the, because it can be some mental turmoil at the absolute best of times, and it takes a toll. Um, I know that a lot of guys that I talk to, they'd be very people would be very, very surprised at how many male uh, athletes talk to me specifically about their body image issues and the fact yeah. that their identity is entwined with being this absolute lean killer and then when they don't hit a meal or they think they haven't trained as hard as they can you know their their comfort zone and security is in overtraining under eating that's what they feel like they have to do in order to be yeah. who they are and it's that just mental, it can break down uh, that sports psychology yeah factor like I think it's very important because obviously I I understand I believe that mental makes up 80% of the sport Mm -hmm. as well as 20% physical so like I went and talked to um, a sports psych when I was at the last Commonwealth Games Mm -hmm. so when I had my first wrestling coach he was my coach for 12 years and then we had a falling out and because of how I took him so I had him since I was about seven Mm -hmm. eight years old right up until I was 20 and so when we had a falling out, it was very upsetting for me. Yeah. And when I was at the Commonwealth Games, someone had tagged me in some post that he was ranting on about. Yeah. And then I got really upset. And I don't know why. I was just like, oh, I don't just want to talk to anyone. I went and booked an appointment with the sports site. It's a smart move. And literally, like, the first hour, I was just crying. Mm. <laughs> and the best thing that I liked about the sports site is she didn't tell me things. I didn't have to rely on her if I was going to get upset again. I didn't have to call her or go and see her. She gave me methods for me to figure out for myself to help me so in any competition I go to I can rely on myself that I'll be able to bring myself out of certain situations so I really rate sports sites or even just talking to someone you trust as long as they don't try to solve the problems for you they just Mm. give you ways of trying to figure it out for yourself as well is this something that you've talked to many athletes about recently or something that you like to try and translate to people um not really if um the opportunity comes up then Mm -hmm. i'll share it i'm open to share any situation or experience that i've been through especially when it comes to mental and stuff like that Mm. um I know growing up I was always strong mentally and my brother was the physical one and mm-hmm. so together when we trained together we worked quite well mm-hmm. so he helped me with my physical and I'd help him mentally so we helped each other that way so I was lucky that I had that sort of support but when I went off by myself just training competing all on my lonesome and then I broke off with my coach mm-hmm. then things got a little bit harder I didn't have a technical coach for like five years five six years mm-hmm. until I came here yeah 
So, um, not really. I don't bring it up much. Mm. And I'm not afraid to bring it up. Like, I've, I've gotten through it, so I'm a lot stronger from talking about it yeah. a bit more and seeing it. That's the reason why I ask, basically, yeah. is because I believe that people are going to get a lot of benefit from it. And you have this yeah. platform of legitimacy that you've forged through attrition over the years. Mm. And hearing it from you would be slightly more impactful than hearing it from some dude. Like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's important. It's an important yeah. message. And individual athletes are going to find their own times where it becomes very, very important yeah. for them. So given the platform that you have, it will likely be you know, an avenue for mm. you and something that you might find important to translate that in the years to come. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing you can force on people to do. No, no. I mean, obviously people will talk when they're ready to talk. I understand that. Like me, like I was ready to talk when mm. something happened and triggered it and I didn't want it to affect my competition because I was competing mm. in two days when that happened. And so the two days leading up, I talked, I felt so much better and it was crazy at just how much easier got to yeah. talk about certain things or the particular person and stuff like that. Mm. So I think it's important to talk. Open the door for you to start excelling again at the yeah, thing you love doing. Much. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. If It's not weak to do that. It's incredibly strong to do that and it takes courage to do that yeah. and it will add benefits to what you're actually trying to achieve. It's a hard life at the best of times. Yeah. You know, people... <laughs> People have got a lot of support around them, but mm. what kind of support do they have? Like, yeah, you're doing great. Let's do this. Oh, we're going to go do training today. People will support in the best way that they can, yeah. but not necessarily what people need at the time. And what we're all trying to do is progress and get better, whether it's technical progression, getting actual goals, accolades, championships, whatever it may yeah. be. Whatever it takes, anything you actually need, including the mental aspects, should be discussed and should be discovered like it it's just going to be really important moving yeah. forward i mean you just have to like if you're not achieving what you want to achieve you need to find why yeah and sometimes just talking about the big obvious stuff will pull out all the little stuff that's actually causing mm. the problem like how the lady described it to me she's like you have a bag and you empty it all the big things fall out and then there's something stuck in the corner mm. that is stopping everything from coming out fully and mm. so that's what, how she described it and it made a lot of sense yeah, that yeah. does make a lot of sense. So moving forward, you know, after these things have taken place in your life and you've made the transition to come over to Australia, that would have been a pretty big decision. Yeah, so I was seeing someone at the time who was at the wrestling club. So for me, it made sense to go, you know, two bird, uh, one bird, two, what, what does it say? Two, two and one. Two, and one. <laughs> two, two birds, one stone. one stone. There's some birds and well, there's some stones, really, Taylor. Okay. Really destroy that bird with two stones. <laughs> <laughs> two stones at one bird. There you go. That's how it all ends up anyway. I haven't got that great aim, so I probably missed both, but it's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so two birds, one stone, um, partner, wrestling club. Um, so obviously I'm still with the wrestling club have someone new a lot better for me mentally um and yeah the transition wasn't that hard I wasn't getting the training I needed in New Zealand okay. um and obviously the coach here is a lot better and is exactly what I've been looking for okay. yeah. and mentally as well he's a lot healthier for me yeah he's a bit spastic <laughs> and stuff, but what he tells me and how much he believes in me and especially his support and yep. stuff was ex exactly what I needed through the decision made on the Monday. So I was um, 
If I think about it now, the transition probably would have been, it was, it was the best decision I've made. And you felt supported by the wider community as well? Yeah. Good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously I met Miles when I first came here, maybe the first month or so. Yeah. And then I sort of never le- left. Yeah. Never paid. Well, you never struck left. gold. <laughs> you struck gold. If he was one of the first people that you met, then you did well. <laughs> you struck gold yeah. there. But, I, you know, obviously I've, I've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've seen a lot of people come and go. And, you know, wrestling's been very near and dear to my heart. And my trajectory went all the way through jiu-jitsu and MMA and all of that. And I'm not, not a tough guy. I don't like getting punched <laughs> in the face. So I'm retired. I'm a coach. People come to me for what I can add to their game analytically and strategically. Uh, but looking at wrestling as a whole, you're, you've really aided in the outreach of wrestling in this state. So we should be saying thank you to you for uh, doing you're welcome. that. welcome. Uh, <laughs> and I know that that's going to continue as well. Um, sort of like what we were talking before, the door is wide open. Mm-hmm. And with this advent of ADCC rule sets, I mean, ADCC is submission wrestling. The way that mm-hmm. it's set up is that aspects of wrestling are really highlighted and you can also submit people that's sort of like the way that it's set up even in the scoring rule sets in the second five of a 10 minute round is still the way it's set up it's different to ibjjf i am in agreement with a few different people that if pure wrestling isn't on the cards the adcc rule set specifically is for you yeah um i've spoken to miles and he's like uh, told me about when the trials are at Mm -hmm. the end of the year so I have shown some interest in wanting to go ahead and do that, but it's also around the same time as the Commonwealth Game Trials as well. Mm. So if one comes before the other, it doesn't really matter which one comes first. Yeah, you know, it'd be easy to do them as long as they don't clash on the same same week or same day. Yeah. Then I think I could achieve both. Does it excite you though? Like, does the prospect of submission grappling excite you? Like, is it something that you would want to achieve? Yeah, it is. Um, I would also like to go to and uh, compete at Worlds in Nogi as well. Yep. So, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I, just, I just don't understand the process of getting here. That's all. Yeah. Like, I understand wrestling process. I, but I completely understand. <laughs> you just yeah. so much yet. Yeah. <laughs> I completely understand where you're coming because, from. Because, like, the, the whole difference with, you know, wrestling, if you're under 62 kilos, you wrestle everyone under 62 That's kilos. Right. This one, it's you got your beginners and intermediates, then advanced, yeah. and that doesn't make sense to me because yeah. you can't grow as fast as you want if you're separating yeah. the experience levels. Well, it's the it's the remnant of the rank mm. system, right? Yeah. And I mean, it has its merits. You know, it does have its merits. Leveling the system means that people who are involved in the sport for different reasons can stay safe, they can stay happy, they can progress at their own rate, and then competitive people can be as competitive as they need to be. But it's sort of like the allowance factor. Are you allowed to achieve the highest level that you could possibly achieve right right. off the bat? Um, And I think that that's the thing that ADCC has over a traditional world, like an IBJJF world, is that if you are... Someone who has been involved in grappling for a very long time, like yourself, well, like say Kim Robinson, for example, mm-hmm. right? How stupid would it be for Kim Robinson to be forced into a beginner or intermediate bracket due to his rank in yeah. jiu-jitsu or grappling? You know what I mean? ADCC allows you to enter into any of the rank systems that you'd yeah, like cool. to. That's the point, right? That's why it pushes yeah. overall grappling. I, um... When I first did my um, into the jiu-jitsu competition, 
So I had set myself some rules for this first six months of 2019, mm-hmm. some goals, sorry. And um, the goal was to win six competitions and win my first up match. Like, if I lost the other few, it didn't really matter, as long okay. as I won my first one, because I have that problem in competition. Okay. So I was setting myself some goals, and I entered a jiu-jitsu competition, and I asked him, like, what level do I enter? I was like, I don't really know any submissions. And he's like, oh, enter beginners. Like, if you don't mm. know submissions, enter beginner, and I won it. Mm. And then people started getting upset. They're like, mm. oh, you'll be wrestling for this one. I was like, if you come to wrestling class, you'd be a beginner. Yeah. No matter how long you've been doing grappling. Yeah. I was like, I know, like, I think I know like one submission. <laughs> like, that's it. And now when I go into competition, I can only remember that my one submission. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it works. <laughs> Even in, if you've got very bendy arms, like yeah. it still works. I was like, in trainings, I try to do other stuff. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> but <laughs> It's a competition though. And yeah, look, I, I do get what you say. Yeah. I mean, wrestling at the best of times as well, like you know this for yourself, rules are a shifting tide. Mm. And like if you're you have to stay up with the rule sets in wrestling, whether it's world wrestling, uh, folk style wrestling, there's always changes. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of similar with the grappling scene as well, dependent on which competition you'd like to participate in. Yeah. The rule sets are going to change again. But, and then I spoke about this with Declan as well. Like, how does he see it now? And his answer was he would like to be able to win a match in any rule set. Yeah. It doesn't matter because that's the litany and scope of his technique. And I think that's probably the best answer and the best thing to shoot for if you're looking to be an overall grappler. Like, it doesn't matter if someone's handcuffing you or not. You're still going to find a way to yeah. actually get to I have it. no restrictions, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, don't yeah. be restricted by what other people say or what rules people set up. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be Adapt your own. to everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, the IQ as a grappler will shine through. Like. Mm-hmm. One of the other questions that people wanted me to ask you was what are the aspects of transition? You know, like what have you found so different from wrestling when you moved to jiu-jitsu? You know what I mean? The floppiness will probably be the first thing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute lack Um, of structure. Well, the pace. Obviously, the pace is a lot slower in jiu-jitsu. And obviously, the dangers as well. Obviously, we choke and, and submit and um jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. but danger wise obviously in wrestling you know we've got our four front ways backwards sides mm-hmm. because we're in a circle yep. so we're always got to stay away from the red zone yep. or else we'll lose points yeah and if we go forward then our opponent will attack us so we'll lose yeah. points that way if we go sideways our opponent can go sideways and then attack us whereas i find in jiu-jitsu you can go to your back and you can cancel out one of those mm. dangers so that's how i see as the dangers um Submitting and stuff, that's all technical. So yeah. I've classed that in something different. Um, I have found the benefit in jiu-jitsu. So if I go to do leg attacks, I have to do them properly. <laughs> mm. I still get choked. <laughs> yeah. um, and if I'm sloppy with my arms with anything, then I'll get arm barred. Mm. So they've crisped up my technique, which has also transitioned back to wrestling, which yep. has made my technique better in wrestling because of that too. So I find the benefit, and that's my benefit in jiu-jitsu, yeah. which a lot of people like... Um, Few people from the wrestling club haven't yet figured out their benefit in mm. jujitsu, whereas I have quite quickly. Yeah, that's interesting though, because you're talking about spatial awareness and body awareness. The mm. first thing that is most readily, readily available for you to control are your own movements and your own body yeah. and your own structure, regardless of reading someone else's structure and their setups and their game plan or what they're trying to do. Yeah. The thing that you're most going to focus on most coming from wrestling jiu-jitsu is your own structure and your own body. I trust in my body. And I mean, like, if I'm not confident in my technique, 
then I can't trust myself to execute anything properly. Mm. Um, but also I know like if I push someone backwards, they're going to go backwards. Mm. It's just the same as if they push me, I'm going to go backwards. So I understand how to manipulate people in that yeah. way. If I push them backwards, they're going to be a lot slower going backwards than I am going forward. Mm. So I'm going to use that to my advantage. Mm. So smart wrestling or smart grappling is where I like to play as well. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting to me because I've had both of the learning archetypes take place and the difference that I see is wrestling is internal. You get taught a lot about your body and what you can achieve mm -hmm. and how to maintain structures, how to break structures, spatial awareness and athleticism, right? Uh, it's overall total body control. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, we can fall into this trap of learning techniques yeah. first. And that's generally what happens. You don't generally learn framing. You, you do learn hip shifting, but you don't learn why. You know what yeah. I mean? You, and then you look at it like this. If the first thing that you learn in jiu-jitsu is a kimura, and then someone tells you to go and roll, all you're going to try and do is a kimura over and over and over and over again, regardless of how you're holding your body, what they're doing. Yeah. You're just going to try this technique over and over and over again. You're going to walk out of that class going, shit, kimuras don't work. Nothing <laughs> works. But if the first thing you learned was an idea, like a concept, okay, I'm going to frame, I'm going to protect this zone of control, mm -hmm. this part of my body needs protecting, all right, that's an internal yeah. uh, directive. If you went and rolled, all you'd try and do is protect that space. And then instances and scenarios would play out that were based on strategy and game. I think that's what's missing. So whether you realize it or not, that body awareness transferring over from wrestling and the timeline of learning that you've depicted to me about how you see jujitsu, it's very unique and it's very beneficial and it will serve you well when you yeah. add more techniques on top of that body awareness That's concept. What Adam Jones said yesterday, he's like, if you just trained more, <laughs> you'd know more stuff. And I was like, I know. I was like, I just don't have time at the moment. <laughs> got a lot on my plate. Which is okay. what I want to do. I mean, like with me, I want to learn how to leg defense, like mm -hmm. heel hooks and everything so I can get better at it. I don't mind learning how to do them and apply them. I remember one way, <laughs> one position, but I'm not for breaking blowing out knees mm -hmm. so i prefer the top pressure where i can control the submission a lot and um where i know that they'll tap as well um so that's what i like safe yeah <laughs> safe safe destroying <laughs> well i would hazard control. to guess that you understand levers and you mm -hmm. understand flexion and you understand where people are weak and where they can be strong from an yeah. anatomical standpoint yeah. and if you break it back down to that level your leg defense is going to be fine yeah. Because you'll be able to understand what they can and can't do based on the way that their body is formed or the configuration yeah. that they're trying to implement on you. Is it a good structure? Yes, or I have to respect it. Yeah. Is it a poor structure? Yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> going to respect it. I'm just going to keep pushing this lever yeah. until they like can't I'll, move. I'll, I'll watch in, um, so I understand also with wrestling, you know, I, we can teach so much um, all these different techniques, but one technique might work for one mm. person. And then we teach something else and that might work for someone else. So not all technique work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people too tall, too short. Um, so with jiu-jitsu, I sort of go along those same lines. You know, not every technique is for me. Yeah. Because I'm either too stumpy in my legs mm. or I don't understand how to bend my arms certain ways. Yeah. Um, so certain things I'll watch and I'll apply. And if I can't get out of it safely with how I um, execute wrestling technique, then I won't really... Mm store it <laughs> yeah no i do understand that yeah. i mean you, you're 100 correct like i you know from a technical standpoint 
I pref- when people are taller and I'm in the saddle, they have more hip rotation. Yeah. So their hip rotation can affect their knee line mm-hmm. and it can affect my ability to finish a heel hook. So I'm going to go to the 50-50 because I'm short and I'm stumpy and yeah. I can deny a frame <laughs> and I can lock in and take the space away and it's going to yeah. be much harder for them to rotate that hip. <laughs> but if they're also short... I'm going to go back to the saddle because they don't yeah. have that allotted hip space to create rotation and free their knee line. It's that um, adaption skill, yeah. learning, learning to adapt with the different opponents, like with Adam Jones and Declan and stuff. Obviously, they're really tall. The most gangly men on the planet. Like, okay, yeah, they got lots of legs and long arms, <laughs> but it's just like, why would you attack the legs? So I'm like, trying to attack the ankles because mm. it's a lot harder to defend the ankles than yeah. to defend the legs. And you're going to get on the neck. But then there's like daddy long leg <laughs> yeah. right over you and all you see is foot. So yeah. I've um, developed this um, holding the toes. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's, there's science there right at the end of the lever. You know, <laughs> I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? <laughs> I'm going to give it the benefit hey, of the doubt. It's not to submit them or to hurt them, but it's just to distract them and get them off, <laughs> get them away. Uh, I mean, yeah, from a coaching perspective, I'd be trying to get you squeezing next, to be honest with you. Guillotines, rear naked chokes, darses, everything that's accessible. And if you're standing in front of someone in a jiu-jitsu context, or let's say an ADCC context, and you can snap down to a front headlock oh, situation. If they stay standing, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you, <laughs> if you start to touch them and they fall over onto their butt, you're like, ah. Oh. But again, ADCC, way more likely to do it in the second five. So if you're in a snap down situation and you're in a front headlock situation and you have that type of manipulative control over a sprawl situation, you understand where to place your shoulder, how to chin strap, how to elbow drag, then all the chokes are going to come from there. They're going to give up guillotines, give up darses. You're going to be able to take the back. You're going to be able to rear naked choke. Like for you, for a wrestler, getting to the neck is that much easier. Getting behind is that much easier. So developing a choking game probably will be your next step. I don't know. I'm well, speculating. I know, I know how to do it. Yeah. I, mean, I never really get the opportunity to. Mm. I just always just... get on top. So, <laughs> so I just sit, sit down and now you have to start passing off. I've passed the guard through pressure and understanding. I'm just going to take your arm again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Again. You found <laughs> that you've uh, wrestled some women who have had some bendy arms, though. I've seen... That's I mean, okay. you would... <laughs> Looking to bend that arm, I mean, eventually you got that shoulder lock and um, cross face. That was a very catch wrestling, it's a very catch wrestling technique that you do. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. good. That's a good thing. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like people tell me about catch wrestling. I have seen a few videos of like people doing catch wrestling stuff. Yeah, and I am um, yet to still understand. Well, you're more. doing it. It's like, no, it does make sense, but. I suppose the reason it makes sense is because it's a logical progression for you. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, this is a pinning predicament that you've brought about. Mm-hmm. It's a pinning and finishing hold that you've just added to to create a manipulation mm-hmm. which furthers your control. In essence, if you chin strap that way, if you start to cross face in that way, and if you start to manipulate the arm that way, it's still going to lessen their chance to be able to bridge and get out of a pin because you're taking limbs away. Yeah. But it just so happens to submit them at the same time because it's creating torsion on the shoulder. So it's just, that's catch wrestling. That's, it's mm-hmm. an addition to a pinning predicament. Um, shoulder isolation, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> squish, and that's the way squish, that people see it. The head. Squish head, <laughs> twist arm. Yeah. <laughs> All in steps, please. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, you've had a, a pretty good run, a pretty good timeline. I know that a lot of people have asked me, you know, they, they really want to get into the mind of an athlete and you have covered that. What I'd really like to ask you is, do you have some memorable moments, memorable matches, the things that have happened over your career that you could really point to and say, 
that was good, that was bad, that helped mm-hmm. me, that was fun. Yeah. Anything you'd like to share? Um, after competing and experiencing at the Youth Olympic Games, um, so when I hit 16, um, my parents gave me the choice if I wanted to carry on wrestling and stuff. And obviously I knew nothing more. <laughs> been competing in it for like nine years at the yeah. time. Um, so I just carried on doing it and then I started to really love the sport because it was my own decision. But when I made the Youth Olympic Games and going to the village, so you're in the village for two mm-hmm. weeks, meeting other athletes of high levels in different sports and seeing that was what made me want to carry on wrestling and competing and trying to hit high levels because the people you meet and the friends you make is really something special and you know it doesn't come around every often. Mm. So. That was why I wanted to carry on competing, especially at high levels. That was my main reason. And I think even I pushed that onto other people because they'd feel like sad and mm. they'd get doubtful about themselves thinking that other people would win, especially at Oceania tournaments and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I'd just tell them, I was just like, the experiences you get from this is what's going to make you a bigger athlete. Mm. So it's just like, why not do it? It's like, there's no point in being scared of it or else you'll never develop or you'll never evolve. I guess the worst one was when I made my first world team in 2015. We went to Las Vegas. And when I left, I was like, what was I wrestling at? 60 kilos I was wrestling at. And um, I left, I was like 64 kilos. And I had about four days to lose those four kilos. (laughs) Got to America and I was 67. (laughs) So I had about three days to lose seven kilos. That was a bit hard. And... um, I made it just, <laughs> I think, by like 100 grams. Because we had to wear, wear a wrestling singlet, and that's 200 to grams. To weigh in. Yeah, uh, so that's an additional 200 grams. So I made it. <laughs> My coach was real scared because I hit a wall when I was trying yeah. to cut weight. But I pushed through it. It's okay. So they reanimated your corpse, and then you wrestled. <laughs> Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, it was so horrible. But because of that, um, so I did quite well in my first Worlds. I, um, I went against... Um, the, I think, the Mongolian girl who had mm. won the Worlds recently, uh, yeah. the year before, and I didn't know, and I did well against her, mm. scored points against her. And then I scorpioned myself when I was wrestling China and popped a vertebrae out, so that wasn't very nice. And then um, because of how much weight I lost and how quickly I lost, I ended up getting skin infections and I got really sick. And I went home and I had nationals. And I had a huge uh, whole body rash because yeah. I was allergic to my antibiotics. And then my ear blew up. <laughs> <laughs> massive ear. I was dying, literally, from my antibiotics. And I was exhausted from having no energy but wrestling in the, my nationals. Mm. So that's the worst. <laughs> but thank you, so thank you for sharing that. Because when, when right. people, if we list off the accolades, people are like, oh, wow be so good you know but people need to hear how how low it can get like how bad oh, it can yeah. actually get like when i whenever i tell the whole blood clot story of how i was in hospital and all that kind of stuff and mm. they're going to take my arm and it's like <laughs> that happened from weight cutting as well but yeah. it's good for people to know that that mm-hmm. there are pitfalls and consequences to their actions but there's also life after that you know yeah. it just adds it, to the sum of your it experience takes about three months but it's all right <laughs> <laughs> three months lucky you three man. months to recover <laughs> like 18 months later you know <laughs> Like this, uh, I, I actually just, uh, I rolled for the first time yesterday. And I, by that, I mean, you know, like three minutes of <laughs> seeing if I could roll uh, after the whole knee deal with the staph infection that was in my knee and being yeah. in hospital oh, and all that kind oh, of no. stuff. That was terrible. <laughs> yeah, just 
it was just beside us and we kept getting it drained. About 370 mils got drained out of my knee. Uh, prior to that, 125 was drained out of my mm. knee. And there's no structural damage or anything like that, so I'm fine. But in one of the drainings, staff got introduced by the needle and landed me in hospital for a week. And it's been a relatively prolonged... Uh, that sucks. Yeah, so but it, the antibiotics suck and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it, it's not going to... I'm still here. Mm. I'm still doing things. Like I've set myself out a very difficult rehabilitation process and I did it. It sucked. You know mm. what I mean? But I'm here. I'm doing it. Yeah. Like I'm I, still um, back. I did the same thing. I ruptured my ACL and tore my MCL, LCL on both meniscus in my left knee and bruised my patella back in 2011 mm. playing rugby. And um, a, I had surgery quite quickly after, which was quite lucky. And then... Um, I had, um, they said like six to eight months I'd rehab fine and mm. I could get back into this. Yeah, six so to eight I, months? So I um, Go away. decided to do silly things <laughs> and it took two years oh, wow. for it to properly heal. And but it does happen though. Yeah. Eventually you do heal. And I did a podcast that was like right in the moment when I, I think I'd just come out of hospital. I was going into hospital. Mm. I just did a podcast so I could share all the ridiculous shit that was going on in my head about this injury and how ego gets really, it gets away from you. It gets really fleeting. Mm. Like I know that I have to go into hospital and go into surgery and I'm thinking, yeah, but I could probably just do a conditioning circuit. Like just before I go in, because I'm going to be really unfit when I come out, just shit you shouldn't be thinking about, but it's your ego just scratching and clawing or whatever. That's where the okay thing comes into play. Exactly. Exactly. And it's okay to be like that. As I say, Mm. it is okay to be like that because that's just what it takes sometimes. And, yeah, I, I was glad that I got to share that experience, and that's why I thank you for sharing some of your lows yeah. as well. Because pe- people need to realize that, like, it's not glamorous. Combat no. sports are not glamorous at the best of times. Not really. But you can still achieve in them. And that's what makes you the athlete you are too. Yeah. You need to go through those things in order to understand. I think. Mm. Yeah, downfalls is what makes the ups a whole lot better. Hundred percent. Well. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Mm. And uh, there's some really good prospects on the horizon for everyone. I'm very, very happy for uh, Lachlan. I'm very happy for Declan mm. picking up those wins. I've known those guys for a long, long, long time. And I, I really think they deserve those types of uh, opportunities to shine and, and have people look at them the way that I look at them, which is like good dudes well, achieving things. I mean, within the gym, you know, they're great role models. Yeah. You know, everyone goes because they want to see them, they want to roll with them, or we'll just mm. watch them roll. Um, you know, watching Declan, even when he was doing wrestling classes, the way he moves, mm. so natural. Yeah. He's a really good wrestler. As much as he likes to claim he's not. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. he's really like, I remember wrestling him. I didn't really warm up. I was so tired. <laughs> I would grab a leg and then I couldn't reach the other one. And then I'd finally get to the other one and the other one's gone. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. <laughs> I've always thought about this, like the, the body types and structures that, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu attracts and don't wrestling doesn't necessarily attract them mm-hmm. so it's very interesting when someone of Declan or Adam's body type starts to just do wrestling things or learn some really legitimate wrestling tactics because it just comes out in the gangliest and lankiest of ways yeah. but it's really effective it's really effective tall people are hard to wrestle <laughs> you know like everyone's a tall person I haven't got very good um uh, what is it called like spatial awareness or proprioception? Yeah, that one. Yeah. So like, 
Well, it's normally there for me when I wrestle normal people. Yeah. It's not there when I wrestle them. Oh, yeah. So I try to reach for it, and then I'm like, oh, shit. That should be there. That elbow should be there. The and ankle then, should be there. And then this arm or leg shouldn't be here. So it's just like, what's going on? Well, unfortunately, I've been afflicted with the curse of being the shortest person ever. So everyone I roll with is taller than me, so I just nugget my way around anyway, but that's fine. It does Spoldos, work. Yeah, run, being, run being a nugget works. <laughs> But I'm still a bendy nugget, though, so you know, that's that's the way that it goes. Uh, but grappling is fun. Jiu-Jitsu is, is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the most fun aspect of MMA, and that's for sure. Like Wrestling is competitive, and you need a competitive mindset. So is striking. Striking yeah. is very competitive, and you need a hard-nosed competitive mindset. Well, it's more like, you know, um, if you get hit, you can't just let yourself be rocked. No. You've got to carry on and keep yeah. going. So, yeah. yeah, the discipline behind the structure of the guard in wrestling and the stance in uh, in wrestling is very transferable to striking. Like mm-hmm. you need to have extreme discipline to hold structure under duress, and you need to understand that that's your comfort zone. If you're getting hit, or the prospect of getting hit is coming towards you, mm-hmm. and you take a big deviation from your structure, that's how you're being exploited and set up to take the next yeah. strike that's going to finish you. Whereas if you use subtle defense and you maintain your structure. That's the opportunity that you're giving yourself for a counterattack or a mm. reassertion. It's almost so. like just always be the aggressor. Mm. Yeah. So no matter what comes at you, you're always ready for yeah. it as well. Or at least, at least the mental aggressor. Mm. At least mm. they could throw four punches at you, and in your mind, you're thinking, "That's great, <laughs> nice job. My one's going to beat your four. Yeah. Like that's how they have to think. Uh, tactical. Oh, it is. It is. It's fun. MMA is very tactical and fun. But jiu-jitsu is the nice, like, oh, I'm just going to roll around with my friend. And it's cool <laughs> because it does attract those type of people as well. I'm a big, big fan of the lighter side of the jiu-jitsu community that we have in South Australia. And that's why I like to highlight the accolades of people outside of my own gym and academy <laughs> as well. Because well, I believe if we all work, you know, obviously not every weight class has all the... Um, partners they can train with mm. you know like Jack Hayes yeah. you know he's he's a lightweight I don't know what weight he calls fly he's fly. a flyweight pretty fly <laughs> mullet um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know he doesn't have all the training yeah. parts he needs and for his weight class especially if he's cutting weight you know no one's really his weight and to have people come and try and help him mm. from other clubs and stuff we should be looking to be the strongest state yeah not 100%. just separating ourselves with our clubs yeah so i see it because i mean like for us having state champs for wrestling we send the best from our state Mm. to go to nationals to show we are the best state yeah not from other clubs yeah Yeah. that's right and because again but that's a state funded structure there is no such thing as the state team for south australian brazilian Mm. jiu-jitsu or the state team like state team for mma there's no such thing so it becomes very club versus club and the egos can get involved but let's forget about everyone (laughs) yeah it it takes heads like miles it takes people like miles Hmm. to to bring in that understanding and it was so cool to sit down face to face with miles being the head coach of one academy Hmm. and the head coach of another academy and just agree on everything and that was (laughs) like that was just a really nice experience because we've known each other for a really long time and we're on the same page and hopefully that can translate to Hmm. some level of progression as well it's like the the two ends of the spectrum is the flyweights that have no one to train with and the heavyweights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying to get Brando sparring partners is not possible. That's the end of the People sentence. People get a little bit too scared yeah. too, I yeah. guess. Like if they get a little bit hurt or, or um, 
they are not technically sound like the other person. They freak out a little bit. There's one person in our academy who can do three fives with Brando, and that's Reece Smith, and he should be commended for that effort. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's prospects for him internationally as well, and hopefully we're going to get him over... Uh, he's actually got some opportunities in New Zealand at City oh, Kickboxing cool. with um, Dan Hooker's management company and all that kind of stuff. That's in the works. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah right. But uh, it is... In a position, it's in a place where the prospect for training partners is a little bit more likely for him. But yeah, you know, cool. he's in a good place with uh, with Rikers right now, and they're taking care of him in terms of his K one and his kickboxing. And I'm absolutely all for it. Um, we have five in fight camp right now, and that's why I wasn't at the M sixteen open yesterday. We have five from Trinity who are in fight camp, and, Vis- and Versace Tiger came down himself in person to do his five three minute rounds. That's so um, lucky. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and we are more than happy to have him. Cam Sinclair as well. Mm. Just everyone. And there's been many, many times. I've been in Jack Hayes' corner when he fought in Wollongong. Like, there's been many times where that M16 and Trinity relationship has grown. I want that to continue. We've got to get you down to do some wrestling seminars or anything you'd like to teach or just um, sign autographs for Avery and the whole team. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know they want you there. You know what I mean? So hopefully we can get that. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. I remember, was it with Declan? You guys were talking about sumo wrestling? Yes. My friend from Estonia used to sumo wrestle and she was a world champion what? when she was at high school. That's awesome. Yeah. Finally. Ta-da. Could you send me her number so that I can talk to someone about yeah, she's an, sumo, she's please? She's an Olympian and she's a, That's awesome. a world medalist and stuff. That is awesome. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, yes, I need to get some dialogue open because no one in the world has talked to me about sumo wrestling yet. So. All right, well, I'll give her, her um, I'll give you her information. Yeah, and I can just Skype and just be like, how good's up, girl? And she'll, be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she'll agree with me. She'll agree with me. But, yeah, yeah it was because we wanted to go to um, a sumo place when we were in Japan, me and another girl from New Zealand when we were there training. Expensive. Yeah, it is expensive. Yeah, you could watch them eat. <laughs> you wow. could watch them eat and train. <laughs> and then it was additional lots of money to just watch one yeah. uh, few matches and stuff. Yeah. I'd fanboy enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're awesome. I think just like the the structure of the competitions and the actual techniques that play out uh, oh, yeah. in a very small amount of time. Yeah, I like just it. Just how fast cool. they are. Yeah, how they're big they very are. fast. They're very strong athletes. Very yeah. underrated as athletes. I scary. think it's uh, they are scary. The smallest person is well over a hundred kilos. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, very impressive. It's like watching me. our heavyweight wrestlers, like our one twenty-five. They're fast. <laughs> I think faster than the my weight class yeah. sometimes. I think the type of athleticism that wrestlers have in general is a little bit misconstrued because it can be seen. I mean, there is a power aspect. There is a speed, power and strength aspect, but it's so dynamic, so gymnastic. You've got to be explosive. So I think they've put it up in the ratio. Um, Gymnastics and wrestling, uh, like the top two sports from body weight to strength ratio. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And they um, also did a, like a fitness thing to measure wrestling fitness. It's like, Six or, yeah, I think six 800 meter sprints mm. to measure the fitness of a wrestler. I don't want to do that. No, me <laughs> <laughs> maybe two at a, like 60%. Uh, I'll swim it. I don't think I can run it. Like, um, You'll swim? <laughs> I'll swim that. No worries. No worries. I'll swim that. But I don't, yeah, I don't think I can run it. Yeah. Yeah, I would happily swim it, but I don't think I could run I'm just not. 
I feel like I'm not the body type for running, but that being said, I don't probably not Very the body type for swimming running. either. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I'm a swimmer. Yeah. I'm a sprinter, yeah, but not not long distance running. Yeah, no. I was a sprint freestyle sprint butterfly, and I'm uh, 17 state championships in sprint freestyle and butterfly. I was national champion uh, uh, Pacific Games as well wow, you're uh, a in 2000. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I'd be more like a sea lion because I'm like a. I've, I've talked about this at length. I have some weird like animal stuff going on, but. I'm a sea lion. I'm like a, I'm a blubbery, like white mammal, right? Who's sort of like uncoordinated. (laughs) This, the, the correlation between those types of animals and myself could, I'm telling you, I blubber around on land, get me close to water and I'll just tip and dive in and just smooth and graceful. (laughs) As soon as you hit the water, I'm smooth and graceful, but outside of the water, not so much, but um, yeah, that's some funny stuff. That's honestly how I feel. Uh, but yeah, no, the, what we were saying with, um, that correlation between body weight, body weight athletes being gymnastics and wrestlers, I've always correlated gymnastic capacity with wrestling capacity. Mm. To me, it's easily the most transferable. Uh, and when I start to explain that to people, they get, because I always look at it from the outsider's perspective. If you have never seen it, never come into wrestling, and you see a person lift, drive, or manipulate another person, you would assume rightfully that it's strength that does that. Not necessarily gymnastic or dynamic ability that's aiding that process. Having that confidence, you know, you do your handstands, you handstand for rolls, cartwheels, etc., dive rolls. It's having that confidence and knowing you're not going to get hurt Mm. and knowing that you're going to come up in a good position. Mm -hmm. And that's what... You know, we try to push on to people mm. why gymnastics is important. And also it will help, you know, prevent against injury and stuff yeah. like that too. Like, I remember hearing a story about one guy fell off his bike, didn't know gymnastic things at all, and just skated along and, like, ruined mm. his, like, collarbone and stuff like that. And then this other, his partner was just like, why don't you just do a forward roll? He's like, mm. oh, I don't know. I was like, it's instinctually not imprinted. He doesn't know how to just go straight into a forward roll, you know. Mm. If I go to trip over something, I'll just double jump. <laughs> That's it. And then I'll just carry on walking. Whereas other people trip over, yeah. hands first, fall on their face. So, Well, judo has this, right? They have this idea of how to fall. But I think wrestling has a slightly more advanced idea about this, how to transition, right? Yeah. How to escape. I talked about with Miles, I'm not thinking when I'm in the air about how I'm going to fall or how I'm going to land. I'm thinking about how I'm going to transition. I'm thinking about catwalking and moving. Grab that foot on the way. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) You're not thinking about losing. You're thinking about re-attacking and re-entering, right? But you have to have the physical capacity to do so. And there's that misconception behind bridging exercises. Yes, it is used to strengthen the neck, sort of, but not really. It's much more of a functional idea than a strengthening idea. Your capacity to achieve those movements, Mm. use your thoracic spine dynamically, means that you can transition more effectively when you're forced to do so in that moment in time. Stuff you can do upside down on your head while they got your arms trapped. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You're not always going to be, or always have full use of Mm. your limbs to achieve movements that you have to achieve in order to transition. Uh, So I think that again, from the outsider looking in, they'll go, doesn't that hurt your neck? And it's like, it's not really about my neck. It's about mm. 
the the linchpin of my uh, shoulder girdle being my stability point and the rest of my thoracic spine achieving movement. And the more that you go through that process and actually wrestle and actually utilize those aspects of athleticism, then you get it. Then you're like, oh, okay. That's why this person can escape so well. You know, that's why this person can transition so well. Or at the very least, that's why this person is always comfortable and composed in any situation because they understand within their own body what they can achieve. And it doesn't take energy for them to do it as either. It's efficient. So if I'm always struggling to transition, you're going to gas really quickly. But if you're graceful with your movements, you're it's not like going to get tired. When to- be aggressive with your movements and when to explode mm. compared to, you know, when you begin, I mean, all well and good being aggressive, but you don't have to be so tense. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to, because if you don't know what they're going to do, you might just put yourself into a bad situation. Yeah. yeah. Well, we talk about it with jujitsu a lot. It's like how many, how much energy will you allot to any given situation? The more you roll, the more you grapple, the more you understand the difference between being uncomfortable mm. and true threat and danger. Yeah. And that's where you allot your energy to your escape. If you're underneath the mount, just bridging against a brick wall, you're going to gas quickly. Yeah. You're probably going to That's where that focus comes into play. You've got to focus yeah. from the beginning. If you decide to focus after a little bit when yeah. something looks familiar, yeah. yeah, it's a little bit too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think any, any grappler, so I like to use that term, a grappler, someone who is used to manipulating bodies and used to being... used to interacting with other people's bodies then you're not just looking at it like okay here's this scenario that's about to play out here's this technique that i'm about to employ it's you're just looking at body mechanics and movements it's the best way to look at it it's the best way to learn if you have the luxury of knowing about anatomy it's a great way to learn Uh, but it's also the best way to apply if you can stop one someone from moving full stop yeah then they're not going to submit to you yeah, <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I think that um, that's catch wrestling as well, mm-hmm. right? So it's the uh, controls of the hips and the shoulders, and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Khabib, Khabib Nurmagomedov has some mm. excellent. He's got some video breakdowns about his ideas about how he looks at controlling bodies, and it's different. It's different to pure wrestling, but mm-hmm. it's different to jujitsu. But it's still conceptually yeah. very, very intelligent and very correct, and it is exactly what you just said. Yeah, because um, I think what I did yesterday, a girl, she kept trying to get her hip in, so I just pulled her foot and mm. tried to put it to her hip, that yeah. other side, so that her hips would stay there so I could get my knee in, mm. so that I could pass, and then I twisted her face. Yeah, yeah. That's right, but again, <laughs> you want it to sound non-intellectual, but it is intellectual, it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> and it was body mechanics prior to technical application. Mm. You moved her foot so that she couldn't move her hip, so you can introduce your knee to pass that was the timeline mm-hmm. body mechanics before technique and yeah. that's it's a very intuitive way to look at grappling you'd be surprised at how much they give you those things yeah. too they're yeah. all there we got to take them steal them <laughs> yes but you, you've got to learn that yeah. that's a learned process and uh, you know I think that's why I kept getting these messages saying when's Taylor going to do this when's Taylor going to do that jiu-jitsu 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 like everyone <laughs> keeps saying it because there's that platform there there's yeah. that base of understanding and learning and the transition would be successful. It would be a successful transition. So I think the way we'll leave it is the door is wide open. Mm-hmm. People want you to move through that door. And Just like our said, mental health, you can't force someone into doing No. <laughs> but with more conversations, hopefully we can ignite that passion for you. Have, have you had a hard match? What has your hardest match been in jiu-jitsu so far? Um. 
I don't know. I don't yeah. know what's considered hard. I mean, like, hard, difficult. Like where you had to apply your brain a little bit more. No, it's always you know it's it's not I guess not hard hard in the sense that I'm trying really yeah, hard to get hard. submission and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, thinking and trying to improve myself better in situations, you know, Declan, Adam, Miles, yeah. all the higher belts, and unfortunately they're all males. Mm. Um, because I'm a bit of a bully, obviously. I know I'm stronger than most females, <laughs> and I can get positions quite easily because I can apply um, strength and stuff. Um, but it's usually with the men in the higher belts, because they're stronger, and when they get in positions and they've got that strength to pull the leg, which um, some girls don't have the strength yep. to do. So I guess with the guys that are higher belts from... Yeah. Purple up, I guess. That's when you're going to start to really test your. Yeah, so your I've got to move a lot more. Yeah. I've got to be a lot smarter. I can't just let them grab and just hang on. So yeah. It's more like I have to start manipulating and then attack yeah. straight away. Yeah. Um, I can't attack straight away for some people, especially if they're too sweaty. Then I have to be a lot smarter with how I attack. Like either wait for them to attack and I counter or something like that. Yeah. So, like they're they're quite difficult in that aspect. I have to think a lot more and I have to be physically ready and focused. Yeah. I know it's just trainings, but if I start mm. applying trainings as like competition sort of matches, mm. then I think I'll excel a lot faster yep. and I'll understand positions a lot better too. Because yeah. I'm still struggling with understanding what are danger positions in jiu-jitsu at the moment. Mm. Like if I take them down this way, oh, my head's down too much yeah, and exactly, stuff like that. Exactly. I remember, I think we were at an MMA show and you asked me the question, why doesn't she like suplex her or like take her down yeah, like in what, this what way? The dangers are. Yeah. And I was just like, it's just based on the landing position. It's mm. just based on where they're going to put themselves yeah. on the other end of that takedown and how much yeah. energy they can exert. They have the ability and the capacity to do it, but it's just whether it's yeah. viable in that moment in time. So, you know, if you mm. were in that cage, you know, maybe you would make a different decision. <laughs> <laughs> Get a hip toss off the cage instead of like, Grinding into a double, you know, yeah. Those I, I played with a few things on the cage with Adam mm. and tried to figure some stuff out. So I, I'm sort of understanding a little bit. It's just defending off the cage. Yeah, my feet get a little bit stuck, or else they disappear yeah. underneath yeah. the cage. It's it's definitely a, a deep world within itself. You mm. know, uh, cage fighting and enclosure fighting is like. It actually comes back to that spatial awareness of what you were talking about before of understanding where you are on the wrestling mat and mm. what that represents in terms of scoring functions. That dynamic plays out in an enclosure in the cage as well. Yeah. So MMA athletes have to be very aware of the danger that they're in based on where they are in the cage and their technique selection and the way they choose to fight yeah. will be based on where they are in the cage. If they have the center, they have different options. Maybe they're a counter fighter, but if they've given up too much space and they've given their opponent too many yeah. options about how they want to get if open field wrestling they might feel really really good about their ability to sprawl and matador and whizzer and and platform but on the cage they might not be so great or vice versa they yeah. might back up to the cage because they are so good at cage defense and they will snipe like someone like anderson silver but yeah we'll, we'll leave that over <laughs> there we'll leave that box over there in the corner for later on um all right so We've been yammering, I've been yammering on for about an hour and a little bit now, but towards the end of podcast, I always like to give guests the opportunity, if they choose to, to thank anyone they feel like they would like to thank. Well, I'd like to thank my wrestling club. I mean, this opportunity wouldn't have arised if I never came here and they didn't accept me. And also Miles for um, being so open. I mean, he's let me coach 
as much as I can and what I can. And he's also um, been quite good to um, bring me into the jiu-jitsu world as well. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. No, well, thank you. Oh, and Kim Robinson as oh, well. Yeah, Kim. He's been really good. Yeah. He's always helped me as much as he can. And if I've got competitions, he will always make people <laughs> make people wrestle me. <laughs> and you mean make make them wrestle you. Yeah. By by threat of physical harm, make yeah, them. Yeah, pretty much. No, that's good. I love I love Kim. I want Kim on the on the podcast one day as well. He bought a, a bunch of action figures from me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, recently. Good. Yeah. <laughs> we went to his house because we were picking up Scobie. Ah, okay. Make kombucha. And yeah, I saw all his toys. Yeah, he's at every convention. Uh, mm-hmm. He has a stall at every convention. I always buy things uh, from he's him. He's super lovely. I remember um, seeing him one day and he was picking up used books from op shops to yeah. take to other op shops. I was like, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a very nuanced human being. And I think when people hear a little bit more, I mean, yeah, there's a crazy side, but there's a very analytical side as well. And there's a very hardline functional side. The way he trains is the way he trains. And you just got to go with it. He's. Yeah. He's like it's a okay. he's like an he's like an enigma of the of the South Australian <laughs> MMA scene, and he's a true veteran and pioneer of the whole scene as well. Like he was fighting when you weren't really allowed to fight. You yeah. know what I mean? So <laughs> no, he is he is awesome. We're gonna have him on. But uh, yeah, thank you, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate okay. that. Thank and you for having me. Of course, and thank you as well for as I said before, being a part of that outreach for wrestling in this state. It's something that's been drastically needed. Hopefully we can support you enough to where you can reach your goals, open new doors for you, create yeah. some avenues, and uh, we keep you around for as long as we can have you. Yes. And um, okay. see you achieve some great heights. Thank you. All right, no worries, thank you. Okay, stay tuned, because we're gonna be back same bat time, same bat channel for all the bat fans out there. <laughs>